My name is Pastor Haley Radliff, and I'm coming to you from Agape House Church in wild and wonderful West Virginia. What unique and unusual times we are living in, right? The world's gone mad, chaos has taken control, and people have completely allowed themselves to be consumed by fear. The church is full of fear. I cannot believe that people who profess to be Christians are drowning in it. They seem to forget that just because we are Christians doesn't mean that we are exempt or immune from trouble and problems. The abundant life is not a trouble-free life. Quite the contrary. I don't know about any of you, but since I decided to walk the path of sonship, I have experienced my share of times in the darkest of valleys, and I've also experienced the most horrid attacks of the enemy, more so than any other time in my life. But I have also experienced the most glorious visitations of the Spirit. My life has a depth and a meaning that I have never experienced before. So for me, I have absolutely no regrets. We must speak clearly to the church on this matter, because many false teachers today claim that it is God's will for every person to enjoy prosperity and perfect health. They teach that since Jesus has promised to answer the prayer of faith, all that stands between you and material prosperity and physical health is your lack of faith. Confess it is yours by faith and it's yours according to this heresy. The Bible teaches no such thing. It teaches that our God is a help in trouble, not that he will exempt us from it. When a plane goes down, God doesn't make sure that there are no Christians on board. When a war ravages a country, God does not preserve the believers from its effects. God does not allow cancer to strike only those who have lived a life of no sin. No trouble will strike the godly. No, trouble will strike the godly and the ungodly. For us to experience God's efficiency in a crisis, we must be learning to experience it each day. If you aren't learning to depend on him, to draw on him as your resource, and to defer to him as your ruler when things are going smoothly, you won't know how when trouble strikes. A crisis does not make a person. A crisis reveals a person. The question is, when trouble strikes, do you want to face it with God? Or are you going to allow man to completely control the narrative and be led around like sheeple? Whose report are we going to believe? We, his saints, should be leading by example, living in peace, and might I dare say a sense of excitement and anticipation, as we are well aware that this is truly a Kairos moment. Times are changing. There's no doubt about that. Things are never going to go back to the way that they were. We are embarking on or actually living in the end of days. I rather liken this to a storm and believe me when I tell you that there is a mighty storm coming. Any political analyst will tell you so. In fact, anyone who follows the news, even occasionally, would agree the proportions of which most of us underestimate. Jeremiah 25, verses 32 and 33 explain it like this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind, <clears throat> whirlwind shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. 
I believe God wants us to, wants to prepare us for the storms ahead by reminding us that he is in the midst of the storm. We do not need just a reminder of this wonderful truth. We need the truth of this reminder of his word to sink deep inside us that so that we will be able to stand during uncertain and fearful times. I want to look at Psalm 46 today. I rather think of this as an end time psalm because its language is the same as that spoken by the prophets, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, and Jesus when he described the last of days. I like Psalm 46 not just because it's prophetic, but because it has such a victorious and encouraging theme. Four times in this short psalm we are reminded that God is with us in the worst of times. As I opened my Bible to read this psalm, the first thing that caught my eye was that it was a song by the descendants of Korah. Normally, I wouldn't think anything about that, but I felt that there was something for us even in that. So if you'll allow me to go down a little rabbit hole, we'll get back to the psalm more momentarily. So who were the sons of Korah in the, New Te- in the Old Testament? The story of the sons of Korah in the Old Testament is truly a tale of two fathers and two destinies. The story begins with the Israelites of Moses' time as they journeyed through the wilderness just after leaving Egypt. In Numbers 3, God set aside the Levites out of the tribes of Israel for full-time service to him. They were ordained to take care of the tabernacle and all of its implements, as well as the Ark of the Covenant. But only the descendants of Aaron were allowed to serve as priests. The three sons of Levi were Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. The Gershonites were responsible for the care of the tabernacle tent, its coverings, the curtain at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains of the courtyard, the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and altar, and the ropes, and everything related to their use. The Merarites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle. That meant its crossbars, posts, bases, all its equipment, and everything related to their use, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their with their bases, tent pegs, and ropes. Now the Kohathites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary, the really holy and and beautiful things. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use. They were under the direct supervision of Aaron's son, Eleazar. Now, unlike the Gershonites and the Merarites, who were allowed to transport their items under their care on carts, the Kohathites had to actually carry their items, the holy things of the tabernacle, on their shoulders. They had the arduous burden of transporting these items from place to place as the camp moved, but they were not allowed to actually touch the items or they would die. The priests had to wrap the sacred objects in special coverings before they were transported. And many of the Kohathites began to disdain this task and to covet the role of the priests because they 
they didn't want to have to carry all of their stuff. I'm sure it was very heavy, and I'm sure the journeys from place to place were very long. And um, so they, they began to grumble within the camp. Not only did they begin to grumble, but Cora who was the uh, the grandson of Kohath, began to run with a num- with another group of Reubenite malcontents named Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, who was the son of Peleth. They let their pride get the best of them, and they gathered up another 250 men, and they began to challenge the right of Moses and Aaron to the priesthood. So Moses summoned the men to stand before God and to burn incense. God warned Moses to let the assembly know to get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, their households, and the other rebels. And then a remarkable and terrifying event happened. This is what Moses said. This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belonged to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. And as soon as Moses finished speaking this, the ground under them split apart The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us, too. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering their incense. Although this clearly marked the end of Korah, we discover that Korah's sons, perhaps too young to understand their father's uprising, or maybe they were too cognizant of God's authority to join the revolt, were spared. God judged those who turned against him in active rebellion and purified his people. But he still had a purpose and a plan for even the line of Korah. After seven successive generations, the prophet Samuel arose from the line of Korah the genealogy of which is recorded in 1 Chronicles and 1 Samuel. The Korahites became doorkeepers and custodians for the tabernacle. One group of Korahites joined King David in various military exploits and won the reputation of being expert warriors. However, the most remarkable thing to note about the sons of Korah is that during the time of King David, they became the great leaders in choral and orchestral music in the tabernacle. Haman the Korahite had a place of great importance as a singer along with Asaph, who was a Gershonite, and Ethan, or Judithan, who were Merites. These individuals played an important role in the Thanksgiving services and pageantry when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. David formed an elaborate organization for song, instrumental music, and prophesying through these men. 
Of all the Psalms in the Bible, 11 are attributed to the sons of Korah. These beautiful psalms express a spirit of great gratitude and humility to an awesome, mighty God. They express a longing for God and deep devotion. These poetic songs include Psalms 42, 44 through 49, 84 and 85, 87 and 88. Psalm 42.1 contains the beautiful line, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Psalm 84.1 states, How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. And Psalm 46.1-3 conveys the powerful message, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountain quakes with their surging. I wonder if the poet who penned these lyrics was remembering his ignoble beginnings, his distant ancestor who perished in an earthquake for his pride and rebellion. Perhaps it was that reflection that prompted the following words in the same psalm. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. For each of us, of our own songs of renewed purpose and redemption, should flow out of the heart of humility as we remember the fallen state from which he raised us and the redemption that we experience through his grace. But I digress, because that's a whole teaching within itself. So let's get back to Psalm 46. Elohim is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. That is why we are not afraid. Even when the earthquakes or the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, water roars and foams and mountains shake at the surging waves. Selah. There is a river whose streams bring joy to the city of Elohim, the holy place where Elyon lives. Elohim is in that city. It cannot fall. Elohim will help us at the break of dawn. Nations are in turmoil and kingdoms topple. The earth melts at the sound of God's voice. Yahweh Sebaoth is with us. The Elohim of Jacob is our stronghold. Come see the works of Yahweh, the devastation he has brought to the earth. He puts an end to the wars all over the earth. He breaks an archer's bow. He cuts spears in two. He burns chariots. Let go of your concern. Then you will know that I am Elohim. I rule the nations. I rule the earth. Yahweh Sebaoth is with us. The Elohim of Jacob is our stronghold. This is not an ordinary storm that the psalmist describes. It's an extraordinary, frightening time of trouble. He is describing what could be the worst of times. It is easy to picture earthquakes and tidal waves. And Jesus' words come to mind. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. In Matthew 24, 7, he speaks of earthquakes, as John does in Revelation 6, 12. When the psalmist says the earth melts, 
We can picture volcanoes or even nuclear warfare erupting. But that is not the only kind of trouble described. Verse 6 outlines the shaking of the political realm of this earth as well. This can entail economic collapse, leadership, changes, and war. The psalmist speaks of nations and desolations in the earth. So it has a worldwide scope. The prophet Haggai describes such a time of shaking. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. Yet who wouldn't be afraid in such a time as this? How do we handle such fear? Is it possible to face such times without fear? I don't believe that the storm that's just ahead will be the magnitude described in Psalm 46, but neither will it be an ordinary storm. It will no doubt come in stages, increasing in strength and ferocity. Whatever the magnitude, we have never faced anything like it. One answer is in knowing that God is in the Lord of the storm. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. He controls what he created. Although events may look totally chaotic to us, nothing is out of God's control. He uses the storm for his purpose. Sometimes he uses it for punishment or judgment. You will be judged by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. This is how Psalm 46 speaks of the storm as well. But God can also calm it whatever he wishes. Then the cry, then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of the distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. And remember, this is not God's first storm. In Psalm 29, it refers back to the flood. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Another answer to fear is having confidence in the God who is present. He is a very present help in trouble. The Hebrew word for present can mean to be found, to be encountered, to be discovered, detected, recognized, to prove to be, to be sufficient, or to be enough. All of that is what God will be in the time of trouble. He will prove himself sufficient, more than enough. We will know his presence as we have never known it before. He will be found in the darkest of times, because the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We may not have known him to be so present before, as, as this will be something new, because we have not ever been in such a dark place before, but he will prove it to us. Verse 5 says that God is in the midst, and God loves being in the middle of things. From the very beginning, his tree of life was in the midst of the garden. He appeared to Moses in the midst of the burning bush. He overthrew Pharaoh in the midst of the sea. His tabernacle was in the midst of the camp, and he walked in the midst of the camp. 
He spoke to them from the midst of a fire at Mount Sinai. He was the fourth man in the midst of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even at Jesus' death, he was between two others. After his death, when the disciples were shut up indoors because of fear, he appeared in their midst. John sees him standing in the midst of the seven churches and finally in the center of the throne in heaven. As is repeated twice in Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts is with us. God is with us. As believers, we can say God is in me. I will not be moved. What a comfort. If we let that sink deep into our spirits, fear has to flee. As stated earlier, we are to rejoice in the face of calamity because we know the outcome. This should be our response in any time of trouble. God always has a purpose for the good of all involved, even if it is masked in complete desolation. After talking about desolations, wars, bows, spears, and chariots, God says, Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew word for still or be still does not mean to be quiet. It means to let drop, abandon, relax, forsake, or to let go. Some translations say cease striving. When fearful, we're anything but relaxed. We are tense. Why? Because we're holding on to self-preservation, either for ourselves or for others. We're afraid to die, afraid to get hurt, afraid to lose something or someone. Ultimately, we should be willing to give up our lives if he requires it. Jesus put it this way, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Let go. God says that the God of Jacob is our refuge. He's our high place, our retreat. For in the time of trouble, he, has, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted above all my enemies that surround me. That's a beautiful promise for us that we need to hold on to. Let's read that again. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon the rock, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies that surround me all around. We have looked at the storm and at the Lord of the storm, who is in control of every event and is ever present with us. He likes being in the midst, especially in stormy times. What about us? Where does he want us? Well, he wants us in the midst too. Even though the God of Jacob is our refuge and a safe place to run to, he is a refuge in the storm. Think about it. When times are tough and the storm is at its fiercest, where is the greatest need? It is in the midst of the chaos. And who can be the best help? 
Those who do not let fear paralyze them. God wants us in the midst of the chaos with him. It is there he is best seen, and his presence is in us is best realized. May the Lord prepare us for the days ahead, that we may be ready and able to meet the need of that hour. Psalm 46 is also a powerful declaration of the absolute security of those who live in God's purpose. The promise of this psalm is that those who entrust themselves to God in his purpose will never be thwarted. They may experience hardship, but nothing will be able to impede what God had planned to do in and through them. The imagery of the earth collapsing into the sea portrays the collapse of creation back into the watery nothingness of Genesis 1-2. The sea in the ancient mind was associated with chaos and death. So the psalmist is imagining the very worst here in verse 1 and 2 and declaring that even if this could not disturb the security of the child of God, The imagery of the river flowing in the city of God alludes to the spring of Gihon and Hezekiah's tunnel bringing water into the pool of Siloam. That was the actual saving grace of Jerusalem in times of military siege. But the psalmist is using this as a metaphor for the river of goodness and grace that flows from the throne of God. We are reminded of the river that is spoken of in Revelation 2, 22, verses 1 and 2. Whatever threat may come upon us from without, we have a secure source of joy and peace from within. Water is often used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and we are reminded here of the spring of living water that Jesus promised would be opened up in our hearts. There may be trouble all about you, but if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then you will never thirst for fullness of life. The main theme of this psalm is expressed in the repeated refrain, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Many scholars place this psalm in a time when Sennacherib's army lay siege to Jerusalem. This is a remarkable story and worth reading to fully appreciate this psalm. You can find that in 2 Kings 19, uh, 35 and 36. If this is the context, and that seems very likely, then it gives special significance to the words of verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Whenever great events like this happened, there were always songs written to commemorate such occasions. And Psalm 46 was probably the song that was written to celebrate the remarkable victory of God over the Assyrian army. So here's my question. What song will we sing to celebrate the remarkable victory of God when this storm passes? There is a God, and he has an absolute claim on our lives. He is calling us to return to him and to partner with him in magnificent ways. If we will stop and know that God is God, then we will also know that he has a purpose for our lives. And we, when we entrust ourselves to him and walk in that purpose, we will be absolutely secure. Let us not forget that Elohim, the one who began it all, 
creating the heavens and the earth and separating light from darkness, water from dry land, night from day, is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. As we sit and are commissioned at the right hand of the Father, let us remember that Yahweh Sebaoth, the Lord of hosts, is with us. The God of gods who rules over every other power in the material and spiritual universe is with us. And that we have the help and guidance of the angelic with us as we go forth in his power and strength. That is magnificent. These are two beautiful promises for us. We have nothing to fear. If we can just latch on to those two things and let those be our mantra, we will be ever so successful in him. So in closing, I just want to declare this over all of us. Father, we will not be afraid because you are with us. We will not be intimidated because you are our Elohim. You will strengthen us and help us. You will support us with your victorious right hand. As we let go of our concerns, we will truly know that you are Elohim, ruler of the nations and the earth. Yahweh Sebaoth is with us. The Elohim of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Thank you all for listening today. Sending you much love and blessings from West Virginia. 